Hello. Well, it finally got me. After avoiding it for two and a half years, I tested positive for COVID. I'm one of those strange people who have never stopped wearing masks, until last Sunday when I popped into the village to pick up some early morning shopping. I was so early most places were closed and there were very few people about. It seems a bit unlikely and random, but I don't know where else I could have caught it. I'm not aware of anyone currently suffering. It began as a croaky cough, and I tested, expecting it to be like every other test I've taken, just in case. Imagine my surprise when a faint line appeared. Very faint, but apparently that still counts. It has since turned into more of a snuffle. No worse than a cold so far, and I'm on day four officially. But I am making the most of it. Husband is doing all the cooking and, well, actually that's it. The cleaning can wait until I'm better. I'm playing games on my tablet, reading library books, watching a little television. Why is it whenever I have the opportunity to watch whatever I want, I can't find anything I fancy? I'm generally taking it easy. I notified the NHS via the app as I was told and they sent me a text saying, try to stay away from people for four days. Now I love my family very much and I have a busy schedule doing stuff. But to have an official stay away notice was rather a treat. Obviously, like lockdown, it would soon get boring and restricting. But four days I can enjoy and make the most of. Husband is keeping well away, passing me cups of tea at arm's length and trying to avoid any close contact. I'll test again before I go back into society. But for now, we'll enjoy my own company. Oh, yes. And only yesterday I received an invitation for my next booster. It's for early September, so I will have to rebook, as I can't have the jab within 28 days of a positive test. Never mind, at least I'm in the system, and grateful to have had any vaccinations. I'm also persevering with my online Welsh lessons. A word of advice. Don't leave it until you're in your late 60s to start learning a language. Vocabulary just doesn't stick in my brain anymore. Each unit I finish successfully pushes everything I learned in the previous unit a bit further out of reach in my head. I've said it before, but if only our brains had a delete button, how helpful that would be. I really do not need to know all six verses of, for those in peril on the sea, stirring though it is. Why is it I can remember songs from my school days far more clearly than I recall what I was doing yesterday? which segues nicely, as they say on the radio, into my topic for today. Hymns ancient and modern, especially those that have meant a lot to me. I want to begin by quoting Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or, as it says in the message translation, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. I'm sure we all know that worship doesn't just happen on Sundays or in church. As Paul says, it's the whole of our lives. But that doesn't mean beloved songs don't have a part to play. Many hymns are based on scripture and when you don't feel like reading or you can't read, Songs are precious. 
It was through song, poetry and storytelling that much history was originally passed on through the generations. When I was growing up, my mum sent me to Sunday school and a song I learned there is one of my oldest hymn memories. There is a green hill far away without a city wall where our dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear. We only know it was for us he hung and suffered there. While the image that conjured up in my head of rather a pretty scene with a lush grassy hill was wrong and unauthentic, the words were true and managed to infiltrate my brain, sowing seeds, so that when I eventually became a Christian, I already had a genuine basic knowledge. In senior school, daily assembly meant we sang every morning from our school hymnal. Though the hymns were plentiful, the range we sang was limited. The aforementioned For Those in Peril on the Sea was a favourite, presumably because we lived in a seaside town. At harvest it would be, we plough the fields and scatter. But an ongoing favourite seemed to be, and did those feet in ancient time. This started life as a poem written by William Blake in the early 19th century, and it wasn't set to music by Sir Hubert Parry until 1916. It was a strange choice for a Welsh school for a whole lot of reasons, one of them being the fact that it's now considered an English anthem, and in the 1960s Welsh nationalism was on the rise. While the words of the other hymns I've mentioned up till now have all been based on Bible truths, and did those feet refers to a legend that Jesus travelled in England in his wilderness years, the years unaccounted for in the Gospels. And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And maybe, most puzzling line of all, and was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? For a little Welsh girl, not very hot on theology, it was most confusing. And it seems I'm not alone in my bemusement. Nobody seems to know precisely what Blake was getting at, or even if it was intended to be as patriotic as people now like to think, or whether the author was poking fun at the excessive nationalism of the time. But let's leap forward a bit. Our wedding, like many weddings, featured the song Love Divine or Love's Excelling. I'd like to say I gave careful thought to the hymns at our marriage, but I didn't. This seemed to be a good hymn to sing because it talked about love a love that excels all others. And isn't that what young married couples want? The fact that the love that excels all others is the love of God becomes clear if you listen to the words. But what starry-eyed lovers listen to words when they just want to kiss? Pure and bounded love thou art. Breathe thy loving spirit into every trembling heart. Finish then thy new creation, perfectly restored in thee. Ah, yes, you could rely on Charles Wesley for basics. When I found a real faith, I started attending a church that in those days was very happy-clappy. A lot of arm-waving and repetitive choruses. I suppose the theory was if you sing it often enough, you'll be convinced. Hmm, not sure about that. That's not to say that all modern hymns are predictable. But as I was thinking about my favourites, the ones that have most meaning for me, I find it's the more traditional ones I turn to. And we can't get much more traditional than Be Thou My Vision. The earliest manuscripts of the poem date back to the 8th century, but it wasn't translated from ancient Irish until 1905. 
It was versified in 1912 and put to a traditional Irish tune in 1919. Like many hymns, it's one I aspire to. Nought be all else to me save that thou art. Riches I need not, nor man's empty praise. I wish I could say that were true for me now, but one day I hope. But this verse I can relate to. Be thou my battle shield, sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. I know that need for God's protection in everything. My shelter, my high tower. And that need is echoed in my next choice. This is beginning to feel like Desert Island Discs, which is Faithful One. It was written in 1989, and when husband had cancer in the early 90s, this song was the one that was going round my head. Faithful One, so unchanging, ageless one, you are my rock of peace. You are my rock in times of trouble. I knew that. I knew that whatever happened, God would get me through. Now something a bit jollier. Oh, happy day. Yes, I still enjoy a bit of happy clappy and dancing and waving my arms around. And what a happy day it was when Jesus washed my sins away. When he did and when he does afresh each day. Oh, what a glorious day. What a glorious name. Okay, enough of that. Back to the past. Right back to 1860 and before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. If you're like me, you don't need Satan to tell you that. You're only too aware of your failings, which is why it's so wonderful to be reminded that because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. As Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Or as it says in the message translation, God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. Such wonderful words. The author was Charity Lee Smith, and this poem was originally published under the title of The Advocate, for that is what we have in Jesus. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, and for you, and for each of us. There is no one better to have in our corner. Thank you for listening. <laughs>